0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the Liturgical New Year on September 1st, I began this series of homilies on the Divine Liturgy by looking at the foundation of who God is and who we are because of Him. And we have been working our way through the Genesis account of creation. And today we come to the sixth day and the pinnacle and the completion of all that God created. I'm going to tell you something today that you probably have never heard before. But it's not new, I promise you that. The account of the creation of Adam brings to a conclusion the chronological narrative of how God created all that exists. And then this account is immediately followed by a separate narrative, completely different explanation of creation that is not contradictory to the first narrative, but is complementary to it. Now, the critics of the literal creation story, they use these two narratives to say that they contradict each other and that, therefore, the literal creation story is not dependable. But this is not true at all. So let's look at the conclusion of the chronological narrative and then move on to the complementary narrative. Before we do that, by way of review, let's let's look at the six days of creation. This is something that each one of us as Christians, we should know in our hearts and minds. We should be able to know these six days and just keep learning them, keep studying them, this little passage from Genesis until it becomes just common knowledge. This is, this is what you know about creation. Why should we not? Why should we not know how we got here? How, how God made the world? So the first day, God made the heavens and the earth because there to be light, separated light from darkness, and created the invisible angelic world. On the second day, the separation of the waters above the sky from the waters below the sky. The heavens, firmament, sky, atmosphere, whatever you call it. The third day, he separated water from the dry land. He caused the dry land to, to be visible and he caused all forms of vegetation to spring up from the dry land. Now, the fourth day, the sun and the moon and the stars, all of the, the galaxies and all that exists in the atmosphere and the space. And as science, as we keep growing in our scientific knowledge, we just keep discovering more and more out there. But it was all created on this fourth day. On the fifth day, the fish in the sea and the birds in, this, in the air. And the sixth day, land, animals, and the creation of man. So let us look now specifically at the concluding event in this creation narrative, the creation of man. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. So in this final day of creation and in this narrative, God tells us three specific things about man. First of all, that he is created in the image of God, and God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are created in the image of God. Secondly, that he was created male and female, it says in the narrative. He created him, man, male and female. And thirdly, that he was created to have dominion over all of creation final verses of chapter 1 establishes the fact that all the vegetation growing on the earth was given for food for man and for all living things and that it was very good. And then chapter 2 of Genesis concludes simply by saying that on the seventh day, God rested. It's a day of rest. So after this begins what I, what I told you about as a separate narrative. It's not a continuation of the first one, but it's a different telling of the creation from a different perspective. <clears throat> and this is where we need to be very careful in reading it and understanding it. The second account of creation is more of an overall summary of creation with emphasis on the creation of man, Adam and Eve, and a description of the Garden of Eden. And here the emphasis is not so much on chronology, in other words, in terms of the order of things that were done, but rather on the purpose and the function of what God had created. So chapter 2 gives us greater detail about the creation of man. The first man, Adam, was formed from the dust of the earth. And it says God breathed in his face the breath of life and man became a living soul. Then we have a fairly detailed description of a specific part of creation known as the Garden of Eden where man would be placed. In other words, God placed Adam and Eve in a particular spot in his creation. And that place was called the Garden of Eden. And we have a fairly detailed description of it. In this description are listed some rivers that flow out from it. And at least two of these rivers continue today in terms of Contemporary geography and what we call them, the Tigris and the Euphrates. The other two rivers I'm not sure about. And we are told that God placed man in the garden to tend it. And we find that the admonition to partake of everything in the garden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God goes on to say it's very something very important about the nature of man and the, the how God was created for man was created in the image of God. He says and this is the first time in the Genesis account we hear a negative expression. All the other accounts everything it says it was good. And with the creation of man it was very good. But in this next phrase, we find a negative. It says, it is not good, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And this is where we need to get very careful with how we read the text. Because the next verse says, God also, it says, also God formed out of the ground all the wild animals of the field and the birds of the heaven and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Now some people read this wrongly to say that God created Adam and then he created the land animals and the birds and the fish of the sea and all that. But that's not what it says. In other words, it's not chronological. It's simply stating that in addition to creating Adam, God had also created all of the animals. The birds of the, of the air, the fish of the sea, and the land animals. You remember how I talked last week about how creation is kind of like um, when an army captures a city... They go in and they, they capture the city. They, they secure everything. They set everything up. They set up the food and the water and, and all the facilities. And be, before doing all, they don't bring in the king until they have done all that. Until everything is ready. And this is, this is a very good description of creation. So God has done all these things. He's created all these animals. And everything is set in order. He brings Adam in and places him as the steward, the king, the Lord over all of this, and then he allows Adam to name the creatures. This is very important to understand that. God did not name them. Adam named a horse a horse. Adam named a dog a dog. And so on. <clears throat> so So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of heaven, and to all the wild animals of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. In other words, Adam named all of them. He evaluated them. He looked over all all of them. When he got all done, there was still not a creature that could meet the deepest needs of his soul, his heart, and who he was, who he was created to be. There was something incomplete about Adam. And so we have the account of how Eve was created. It says, Then God brought a trance upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and filled up the flesh in its place. Then the Lord God built the rib... Took, which he took from Adam into a woman and brought her to him. And so Adam said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." Now the two were naked, both Adam and his wife, and were not ashamed. The most important point of this entire narrative is that we have been created in the image of God for the purpose of communion with God and with each other. And this is what the Divine Liturgy is all about, communion with God. So next week we will look at the fall of man and in so doing we will understand the foundation of the divine liturgy and its purpose in undoing the results of that fall and restoring man to communion with God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ.